Broadcasting live from an uncharted cave system, this is The Monstrous Feminine, a podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my explorers, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. And this month, we're going to be talking about horror centered around claustrophobia. We're covering the 2005 British adventure horror film, The Descent, directed by Neil Marshall, the 2014 American horror, As Above, So Below, directed by John Eric Dowdle, and the 2019 survival horror film, 47 Meters Down, Uncaged, directed by Johannes Roberts. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram, at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In The Descent, six women decide to go cave exploring in the hopes of cheering up their friend Sarah, who just one year prior tragically lost her young daughter and husband in a gruesome car accident. Unbeknownst to the rest of the group, Juno, Sarah's closest friend, has lied to the others and led them to an uncharted cave system with the aim of discovering it together and naming it after Sarah. It is soon revealed this is partly out of guilt because Juno had been having an affair with Sarah's husband before the accident. Soon the women learn that they are not alone when they are attacked by humanoid cave creatures that have perfectly adapted to their environment. The creatures are fearsome, but they are completely blind and hunt by sound. The women are picked off one by one, and tensions between Sarah and Juno run high after Juno's betrayal comes to light. Breathe, okay? Hey, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. What are you afraid of? What are you so afraid of? You can move! Sarah, look at me. Look at me. Listen, the worst thing that could have happened to you has already happened, okay? And you're still here. This is just a poxy cave, and there's nothing left to be afraid of, I promise, okay? Okay? Hey? This is one of the scariest horror films, I think, out there. I really think The Descent is terrifying, and the first time I watched it, it really scarred me. Maybe because I watched it, like, younger, I think I was about 14. But it really has stayed with me, particularly that opening accident. Like, I don't feel like many horror films kill a kid, but this horror film kills a kid and not even as part of the main action. Every time I'm driving behind somebody, I'm terrified that I'm going to get impaled now. I agree. This movie really scared me when I first saw it. I probably saw it younger on television at some point. I feel like all of those just feel scarier. You're watching them at like 4 p.m., on a Sunday afternoon when your parents aren't around, like everything feels a little bit high stakes. But I think for me, it was the claustrophobia. The accident didn't stay with me. I don't even remember if I knew that that was the central conflict. This was my first time watching it. I didn't want to watch it. I'm very claustrophobic, but I agree. It is one of the scariest movies. I think it's one of the like most pitch perfect horror films. We'll get into like some of the representation of female friendships and dynamics but i think horror wise knocks out of the park the monstrous feminine is on apple Podcasts, so please leave us a five-star review and write us a little message if you do engage with our content you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our witch of the week this episode our witch of the week is caitlin ann 87 from the u.s who said a great blend of insightful analysis and fun funny banter as someone who loves viewing and analyzing horror films through a feminist slash queer slash psychoanalytic lens i am hooked this podcast also led me to procure a copy of the monstrous feminine text that inspired it i hope this lovely group keeps making episodes for a long time they deserve a bigger audience so true some people on the podcast might not have read all of it but i'll never say who we hope you have a wonderful January, that you're, you're feeling 
brand new. Yeah, fuck a resolution. But mine is still to do the splits because I didn't do that last year. I said I was going to and then I didn't do it. Now I'm going to do it. So you don't need resolutions, but if you'd like to have resolutions, all the power to you. Maybe it can be to never miss an episode of the podcast. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episode. And for £5, you get all that, plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. It is, like, one of the few films which has such a great focus on characterization and, like, really laying the groundwork. I feel like our main critique of a lot of horror films is that they don't do enough to characterize or, like, set the background or set like the tone of it before the horror kicks in whereas I think this film gets like the pacing exactly right like they're actually not even in the cave until like quite a decent chunk of the way through and then when they are you don't even see the monsters but like it's for me really great pacing and it makes you really care about each death like how you should because it's like obviously with the trouble with like this isn't necessarily a slasher but the problem with like slashers or movies where someone's picked off one by one is I just simply don't care enough about the people to really feel it I'm mostly just frightened because I'm like ouch it feels like archetypes are running around being impaled there are slashers where they manage to give a little bit of depth to the archetypes running around we could maybe guess their star signs what do you think Juno's star sign is I think strong Scorpio vibes yeah no offense to Scorpios but like you gotta take this L like very sensual very sexual hot all great things she's also like cutthroat but then also she's like weirdly loyal like she's still loyal to sarah even after you know screwing her over i think that this movie tries its absolute hardest to make juno a villain and i'm just i just don't vibe with it for me i mean yes she's a mistress but like it's almost Disney cartoonish. The bottom line is she's a selfish character and she leads them into an uncharted cave system and they don't buy her excuse that she was doing it for Sarah. Like if they do buy it, it's just like, well, you did it out of guilt because you were sleeping with her husband. Those are really bad things. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. I admit she's complex. However, they like just put every bad instance that happens in the cave is like Juno's fault. Like, I would 100% be pissed off being led there under false pretenses and then being trapped. Like, I would blame her for that. But, but like, she gets blamed for basically murdering Beth. Like, that's how Sarah frames it. And I'm like, okay, it was so clearly an accident. Okay, so she could be the villain of some things and not all. I know, but I just think that this film veers into, like, just pinning it all on Juno. And, like, the main thing that is focused on is, like, Juno's sexuality. Like, even the beginning running scene, she's out in the woods and it's, like, chilly. And the other girls are, like, dressed in, like, athletic wear. But I just noticed that there was, like, prominent shots of, like, her midriff and she's, like, stretching. And I'm not trying to say that, like, these are inherently sexual acts. Like, it's the common thing of, like, oh, are they showing cleavage or is she just a woman with boobs and a tank top? But in this case, I think that camera angles and her general character, there is a big focus on like promiscuity and like lust as her like sin. And I think that they work to kind of frame her like that. And I almost think it's kind of feeding into like stereotypical portrayals of like Asian women in film, like hypersexual slash dragon lady. And I think she comes across as these things when she's like framed for being like a murderer by Sarah. 
and for like sleeping with her husband. And I'm not sure how I would react. I think I would address like the cheating thing after I get out of the cave. I just, I don't know. To be fair, you don't know how you'd react in this situation, but is it realistic for women to be in a cave system and be like so catty and focused on like this dead husband situation? Not catty. I would be furious if someone was sleeping with my partner and they were my best friend. Like those are justified reasons. What I mean to say is I feel like that takes over the narrative. And, like the true villain is like Juno and her selfishness. And I'm like, okay, but is that what we're focusing on? And Sarah like outright murders her. Just outright murders her. She had like compounding offenses. Like I feel like the issue, the main issue was that she got them trapped in the cave. And so anything she did from that point onwards was going to like, oh, of course Juno did something fucked up again. At some point it does be like, okay, everything can't be Juno's fault. But the majority of things vis-a-vis the cave were Juno's fault. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. There were some interesting, like, critics who pointed this out as well. Like, in Horrified Magazine, Duality in the Descent by Emma Louise Platt. She says, From the descent's outset, Sarah is afforded a higher level of femininity by the viewer, not only because she still identifies as a wife and mother despite the death of her family, but because she is framed as being vulnerable and weak. Compared to Juno, who is visually presented almost as a Laura Croft-type character, with clothing that is not overtly revealing but tight, with just enough cleavage to make her sexy but non-threatening and visible makeup, Sarah is pale, drawn, and plain. She is seen taking medication before the caving trip and requires careful handling and constant reassurance. Again, this person, Emma Louise Platt, goes on to talk about Juno being more other she kind of straddles the line between feminine and masculine whereas like we've just talked about sarah is this overtly feminine if we're associating traditionally as like feminine with like someone who's a bit more fragile or you know because they're all kind of treating her as if she's made of glass because of her trauma which is rightly so like she shouldn't have even been in the cape and she kind of is this final girl figure it's kind of just rewarding her because she was the dutiful wife and mother, whereas Juno's the obvious, like, slut, and she's obviously, that means that she's selfish too, and that means that she deserved to die. And I'm like, I don't think she deserved to be murdered by Sarah. It is a bit like that. It, I think it's like a kind of almost Madonna horror dichotomy here. And I do think it's racialized because, like, Juno is a Asian woman. So there we go. Um, there was another article as well, which was literally just called In Defense of Juno. And it just talks about how like Juno strikes Beth and it's meant to like cement her as the villain. But actually, you could argue that Juno's the hero, not Sarah. This person says, while Juno's actions were irresponsible and myopic, Sarah is the only one to make an active decision to hurt someone else. Leaving Juno to die is both unwarranted and vicious. And in those moments, Sarah becomes the monster, not Juno. I can agree with that. Murder is worse than adultery, in my opinion, and many others. Yeah, good. I'm glad we're all united on that front. But I don't know. I think back to the female competition point. I'm just not so sure. I certainly wouldn't go out of my way to save her if I thought she was sleeping with my partner. Really? You wouldn't try and save her? I would still try and save her. Mm, Okay, I'm nice, but like I ain't that nice. To be fair, it's also a question of like, they don't even have a conversation about it, actually. Because like, I'm assuming I know for certain. The only proof she has is that Beth dying impressed upon her Juno's necklace, which both acted as evidence that she killed Beth. Okay, so actually, in the context of the film, if that was all I knew, then absolutely, I'm not gonna like... She was just like, convinced at that point that like, Juno probably deserved to die for other reasons. Like she's probably like a baby killer and a puppy kicker and things like that. I agree. She's treated very unfairly, like 
solely through bad characterization in order to like force her villain status on you. But I think Juno makes a really good final girl in every way except for that she's not the final girl. You assume that she dies in this film, but in the sequel, which sucks. I don't recognize the sequel. Yeah, you're like, the sequel's uncanon. I prefer like the, I think it's the UK ending which suggests she doesn't leave the cave. Although Juno doesn't survive, she has all the makings of a great final girl. Like you said, the way that she's sexualized in the laws of horror movies means that she can't be a final girl. Yeah, because Carol Clover talks about the final girl being masculinized and relatively unsexual. Whereas that's where I kind of disagree. And I think even one of those reviews said something about her being kind of not... I'm like, I think she is sexualized. But also, I feel like her her end adds to the tragedy of the film. So I don't hate that aspect of it. I just think that the tragedy should come from their miscommunication because you also as an audience care about Juno. I think Natalie Mendoza, who plays Juno, does an excellent job at making her sympathetic despite the script. Like I really do feel like she cares for Sarah as her friend despite the fact that she slept with her husband and like feels guilt and in that situation. But the script is working overtime to make that not the case, to make her unsympathetic. E.g. like when Juno says, we all lost something that day, right in front of Sarah, referring to her husband. And I'm like, girl, she lost her husband and daughter in one fell swoop. I would be really traumatized if my booty call died, though. (laughs) There was this review by Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian, which was talking about like, do women in peril act differently from the macho guys in Deliverance or the unisex indie videographers of The Blair Witch? They're not obviously at each other's throats, yet neither is sisterhood precisely the keynote. The descent becomes the most interesting when we focus on the self-appointed leader, Juno, who has ambiguous motives persuading the troubled Sarah to come along for the subterranean nightmare. I thought that was an interesting question of like, it always makes me think of actually, uh, what's that? Lord of the Flies. Do you think it's just human instinct for everyone to turn on each other? I don't like to believe that. That seems to be a running theme. I don't know. I mean, she Sarah had a lot to blame her for with just the being dropped in the cave element. Like the whole group had a lot to blame Juno for. So I feel like that's already gonna create tension. But I don't know. I feel like if we were trapped, we would pull it together. I think it would be more of a community instinct than a let's choose this moment to air all of our grievances. But like I said, they did have pretty huge gripes to iron out. Well, we don't have grievances yet, but I feel like if it was a situation like I would blame you for like the flashlight broke and you would blame me for taking the wrong tunnel. Like shit just, you know, happens down there. I am an I told you so person too. Yeah, don't bring that up in the cave. I have no tolerance for discomfort, distress. I'd be piecing out of that. I think I'm really afraid of the dark so that this this would be like terrible. The claustrophobic element is only terrible when they're like having to squeeze through places. That is terrible. But like the actual just being in a cave, like broadly speaking, wouldn't do it for me. It's just the darkness of it. I can't handle that. I was way more scared of the getting trapped than the monsters. I don't know. I'm not claustrophobic. I didn't think. I still wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic. They just did a good job of it. I think it's a good job. I think it's a scary situation to be in. And I think like we talked about the trapped feeling is the most... I think that's the horrible thing. Like, If I can get out, if there's an end, then okay. But you want me to be in a tight space and I don't know if I'm going to get out? Get out of here. What do we think of Mon Femme in this movie? We've got womb-like cave space. One might argue that's a womb. (laughs) One might, but I'm not one in this instance. Do you feel cavernous? I don't. I don't think I'm gaping. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not commenting on the physicality of my own vagina. I'm just saying that it's a common association. When she escapes out of the cave, it did seem like a, a buff. She's all like bloody. You know, the Carrie vibes and they're covered in blood. And the most you can see is like her blue eyes. I was just thinking how less scary it would be if she had brown eyes. Like for some reason, the blue eyes really pop wow. against the blood. Sorry, no, no, no. Wow. You know what? I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. You blue-eyed people have everything in life. You can shut up and take this criticism, which is that you look scarier when you're covered in blood. I'm being hate crimes. Do you have blue eyes? <laughs> yes, Mila has blue eyes. The podcast listeners are like, wait, Mila's white? <laughs> back to Carrie I do think that blue eyes look scarier with the contrast of blood it's just it's just the contrast and it scares me it looks demonic <laughs> Louisa goes it's just the contrast it's just color theory and how you are literal demons <laughs> upon the earth let's talk more about the um the rebirth because I think you're you're on to something I think this film has strong archaic mother vibes as well in the sense of a Barbara Creed situation where we have womb imagery and then we have toothy monsters. In the Horrified magazine, Emma Louise Platt says Sarah becomes the monstrous mother in the film. And she says, I quote, of this moment, Lenny Blake theorizes that Sarah has become the monstrous mother of the patriarchal imagination. At one with the monster and embodying the blood smeared oneness with them, Sarah is the monstrous mother by way of her grief over her daughter, but also the monstrous offspring of the cave. She was created by the trauma in the cave. Sarah not only becomes monstrous in her morality, but she actively embraces it, even killing a crawler child. The caving system acts as a womb, nurturing and feeding into Sarah's insanity allowing her to eventually be reborn as a violent, vengeful, monstrous mother. The title like doubles is also being a descent into madness. And we've all talked about grief and horror a lot on this podcast, similarly to like the Babadook, how grief can make someone kind of create a monster. But in this situation, I think Sarah creates herself as a monster, eventually becoming the monstrous mother. Instead of having some sort of closure, it feels like Sarah doesn't, have like this this process of grief and I do think grief isn't linear and there isn't an end goal and there isn't a stopping point which is something that I think this film shows well but I also think she instead of going through this process of having closure or finding new joy or deciding to create a new life she instead is overcome by that grief and becomes something far worse out of the trauma from being in the cave of watching more people that she loves die and even killing herself, she just sort of becomes one with the monsters. I'm not sure how much of the cave yonic imagery I really got watching the film. Like in Tumbad, I very much vibed with that cave. I was just going to say, she's no Tumbad. These caves, they didn't give me, they didn't give me mother. But I do really like what you said about, like, obviously the film's title doubling is like a descent into the caves, a descent into madness. I really love the original ending in which, like, Sarah doesn't make it outside the cave and she's trapped inside hallucinating her dead daughter. But I sort of feel like it's a more complicated thing than just detachment from reality. I feel like we see her covered in blood, crawling around. She's had to do like unspeakable violence to protect herself it's not that she's just gone mad i feel like she's become more primal and that all she's had to confront now is fear her revenge enacted on juno i don't think that is connected to her grief 
having spoken to Beth, who had convinced her that Juno had betrayed her in some way, physical pain is something that I think human beings are really well accustomed with, like most animals on this planet. And I feel like by the end, she has resigned herself to this sort of like primal way of being. One could call that madness. I don't doubt that she's completely lost her mind, but I also think she's sort of accepted this cave dwelling and she's like, you know what? Who needs to be above ground? I'm just going to be at my most primal self because that is a much easier reality to come to grips with than having to deal with my psychological pain when she escapes well seemingly escapes it's shown that she's not escaped the emotional trauma of everything she's gone through we have that mirroring of the logs on the truck like when her husband and her daughter died i do think this is like the most archaic one of the most archaic mother films we've had in terms of like sarah as a monstrous mother theory in like the abstract way that barbara creed talks about which is like any cave creed has assessed as being like a vagina listen like i said it's not my vagina that creed is modeling this off of that feels kind of like a like a like in the way that like freudian analysis will just be like this kind of like throwaway of like any x is a phallus it doesn't always land as perfectly every time but it's assuming that our all of our subconsciouses will evoke the same thing that like anybody would see a cave and like have a yonic association just like anybody would see somebody getting stabbed and have a phallic association like sometimes i'm like mm, i don't think i don't think it's as like universal as it's being made out to be that's very fair and i don't disagree but i think like just them crawling through and like the blood aspect kind of throws on a little yeah, bit Yeah, no, more. I vibe with that. It's just more, I don't see her character as an okay mother. In Creed's theory, it's like not seen. So she's like omnipresent, but she has like very toothy, bitey children. And those would in this case be the cave monster. But I think Sarah is a prominent, I know that the archaic mother is historically absent, Sarah is like a mother figure and a bereaved mother figure. So this analysis convinced me, I should say, that she does fulfill the role of like the mother. I do think that her axing Juno and the portrayal is linked to her motherhood. Part of the reason the accident happened is because her husband was distracted because he's sleeping with somebody else. So indirectly, you could argue, if you were really going down like the bitterness route, you could argue that Juno indirectly caused the accident. So I don't think that the death of her daughter is necessarily not linked to Juno. So I think that is linked to her motherhood and the vengeful mother aspect is what makes me tie her as well as that critic to the monstrous mother. I'm not sure I buy it a whole way. It felt like vengefully motivated, but I, but perhaps not by the cheating. Like at that point, Juno had done so much that like, yeah, she did snap. But like the motivation matters with whether, whether I put her in that category. Like in, in my watch of it, that's not how I read the motivation. I can understand that being a read of it. And if that is your read of it, then like, yeah, sure. I think at that point, like end of bodies, 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 everybody's just like, their motivations are so muddled by that point that I it wasn't clear to me that like, that was the final blow that like, causes it. And a similar thing that I mentioned with ginger snaps is that they gave the female cave monsters like a perfect rack. You know what I mean? Why were you checking out her rack? I wasn't. I'm just pointing out that somebody made the decision to give like, 
very firm, almost boob job looking boobs on the monsters, the female monsters. Do we have any idea what they are? Do we understand the lore all based off that cave painting or not really? So Paul Hewitt, a makeup artist and prosthetics expert based on Marshall's detailed specifications, said he was trying to create horrifying yet believable cave dwellers. And he insisted on there not being not only being male crawlers, but mothers and children as well. And he thought, quote, it is a colony. And I thought that was far more believable than making them just classic monsters. If they had been all male, it would have made no sense. So I wanted to create a more realistic context for them. I want to have this very feral, very primal species living underground, but I wanted to make them human. I didn't want to make them aliens because humans are the scariest things. Apparently to make the actress's reaction more convincing they didn't see the monsters basically until they had their first on-screen appearance and apparently the actress natalie mendoza who played juno later confessed that she nearly wet her pants and was later never really comfortable with I feel them like the monsters did absolutely nothing wrong mila they ate people yeah they were just protecting their territory Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. <laughs>